Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Mings, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. Today's episode is actually going to be another Comrade Mommy installment. I will be talking about uh, some of the shifting gender roles and things that have been going on lately uh, amid the pandemic and sort of how to mitigate that hopefully in the future, thinking from a policy standpoint. Uh, We'll see how that goes with our current administration, but I'll just put some thoughts out there. Um, But in the meantime, just wanted to remind everyone to please check out the Left Pocket Project on Twitter, Facebook, and wherever you get your social media fix. And also to be sure to check out our um, podcast. Of course, you're doing that already, but you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So Spreaker, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, right there. And then also, um, just as a reminder, to please check out our Patreon page. And that's patreon.com slash leftpoc, L-E-F-T-P-O-C. Everything there is always free, of course, um, including any resources and readings and things like that that we post and discuss. Um, And also, of course, there you can give us a donation of a dollar or more uh, to help keep us afloat and help us keep putting out this content for free. Uh, So with that said, I just wanted to welcome everyone. I also should get out of the way that I'm a little bit under the weather. Thank God it's not COVID or anything like that as of yet, but... um, it's basically that I'm a, a seemingly am allergic to my heater um, in my house, like central heat uh, in old homes, especially, and you know, dust and stuff accumulates in there. So even though we've had it cleaned and we do our best to keep things clean, I guess for some reason it still somehow gets in the system. Uh, so I've been a little bit under the weather and kind of asthmatic-y. But there is a connection here. I promise this is not just a random aside. It connects to what I'm going to talk about in this episode, which is quick. Uh, or at least I hope to be quick. I'm trying to lay this podcast down really quickly before my baby wakes up. Because it is currently 6.23 a.m. on a Saturday. I've been awake since about 2 uh, pumping, cooking, cleaning bottles, cleaning pump parts, you name it, I've been doing it. Um, (laughs) this is sort of how my days go lately. I just sort of nap. I don't really sleep at night anymore. I just nap. And sometimes that nap takes place in the afternoon or like after the sun goes down. And then I wake up very early to do everything else, uh, before my daughter and my husband wake up, um, and my dog. Anyway, uh, long story short, There is a connection here, I promise, uh, with the asthma and health issues and parenting and whatnot that I'll get into a little bit later. But I wanted to just quickly put this out before, or at least get this recorded before everybody wakes up and I have to um, start my second or third shift of the day. (laughs) And it's only 6.20-something. Anyway, um, yeah, so this situation with the pandemic has meant a lot of shifting gender roles and just roles in general um, for women and men in our society. And I think, you know, I just, I wanted to talk briefly about how that shift has manifested in my own life and then talk a little bit about um, how it's shifting things in other people's lives that I've read about and spoken to and uh, sort of, I don't know, maybe some ideas about 
what we can do to change some things and make sure that we don't see our society regressing in that sense, if you will, or also maybe how we can use the current breakdown of roles and enhance the support systems in order to enable uh, not so much a sustaining of those roles, but again, like additional support as needed that doesn't put weight on people um, based on their gender or their income, etc. So anyway, um, as you know, as I have already mentioned, I have asthma and I also have multiple sclerosis. I am fairly asymptomatic with the MS. I have a few light symptoms here and there that get aggravated by um, you know, extreme stress or anxiety. I don't have diagnosed anxiety, but of course, you know, just like everyday anxieties. And, and so when those things are stress and anxiety are exacerbated, my MS will flare up and I have some mild symptoms. Um, I am not, thankfully, I'm not at the point where I need medication. Um, and I am not at the point where I am physically disabled in any way, but with the pandemic, um, one of the things that has definitely kind of I don't know, like ratcheted up in terms of fear is that what may manifest now as mild symptoms of MS or mild seasonal um, asthma side effects can end up being a death sentence in my case. And so it's really changed the way that I think about space and exposure and all of that. Um, and, and I've kind of basically been hibernating um, since the pandemic started. So as you know, for those of you who've listened to Left PFC for a while, um, my daughter, when she was born, had to go in the NICU for three weeks. And this was at the end of February. So I literally spent every single day in the hospital, um, pretty much all day long, sometimes spending the night, often spending the night, actually not sometimes, often spending the night during those three weeks. Um, and that was at the end of February, beginning of March. And so it was right at the start of the pandemic in the United States. Um, and that meant that I've been, or just to say, I should say that means I've been more or less on lockdown since then. The last grocery store visit I made was about a week before my daughter got out of the NICU in mid-March. Uh, so that was somewhere in, I made that visit somewhere in early to mid-March. Um, that's literally the last time that I went into a grocery store. Um, we have done curbside pickup since then, uh, you know, since lockdown, we've done curbside pickup or delivery, but mainly curbside pickup just because it's, it's safer and also, um, you know, feels a little bit less taxing on, on employees. Um, I also, you know, at the same time, while this has all been going on, in addition to parenting, I've also been trying my hardest to work on my dissertation, which has basically been impossible um, because of all the duties of parenting that I have. And I've seen my life sort of shift radically because I can't take my child to daycare. I can't have family to help. Um, my family lives out of town or um, in, in the case of my husband, his family lives in an entirely different country. So under normal circumstances, we would have had someone here at some point to see the baby, play with the baby, and to help, um, because that's generally what family does when you have a child. Uh, but we weren't able to do that. We haven't had the opportunity to do that because of fear of being exposed to the virus. And in my case, of course, literally dying um, if being exposed to and suffering from the virus. So that curtailed a lot of um, 
opportunities, I would say, in the traditional sense to have weight lifted off of me as a mother um, and on our family as a whole, right? Um, I recognize that daycare is not the answer. Like, you don't want to just throw your kid in daycare. <laughs> like, oh, no more parenting, right? That's not what I'm saying. Um, my point is sometimes, you know, despite the fact that I wanted to spend the first year, year and a half with my daughter at home, I did at the same time want to have the opportunity occasionally, um, you know, for her to play with other children, for her to be exposed to the rest of the world, um, even when it comes to being exposed to other germs, you know, things like that, basic everyday expectations for parenting and childhood and taking care of a baby. I think it's completely normal to say like, yeah, sometimes I wanted my child to be able to go to daycare and then I would have a day or, you know, at least six to eight hours where I am focusing on my work. Um, and I've not been able to do that basically because, um, of the, of the setup in our house. So right now, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, again, as some of you may know, my husband was laid off. Um, and I should say again, a, a huge thank you to those of you who sent me, um, funds. And at that time, it was incredibly, it was literally a lifesaver for us. So I appreciate that again. Um, but then later on, he was able to get a job. So sort of in the middle of the summer, he was able to get a job. And now he works from home. Um, again, thank God for that. But he works from home. You know, he has like a basically a, a nine to five, eight to six, depending on the day kind of job. And that means that he's in a different part of the house working, making phone calls, attending Zoom meetings and things like that all day long. And I'm taking care of the baby during that time. Um, and then in the afternoon, like after what I call my shift with my baby, um, I have supposed time to myself, but it's not really that because once 6.30 rolls around, um, which is when my husband has like finished everything he needs to do and walk the dog and come back, um, that means that I then need to cook pump because I throughout the day I'm, I'm pumping um, for those of you who may not know I'm an exclusively pumping mom again that's like very much a, a mom thing but anyway if you have a baby you know what I'm talking about um, so I'm I, I use that time to then you know do additional pumps cook clean and then it's like you know, like by then it's like 9 9 30 uh, which is when my child finally goes to sleep because she's a she's a night baby. I don't know. Some babies I read about and I'm jealous of their families because their baby goes to bed at like 6 p.m. Our baby is not like that. She sleeps a regular adult sleeping schedule or small, you know, young child sleeping schedule. So she goes to bed at 930, wakes up around 7, 730. Um, so then once that time comes and she's sleeping, starting to sleep, I then have to you know, that's when I get a chance to, to eat dinner, to kind of try to do some work. Um, and most of it just is housework. I'm so behind in housework that it's, it's amazing. Like, I feel like all I do is clean, cook, and take care of the baby. And I don't have any time really um, to, to work on my, my work, right, to do my job beyond parenting. And some of you may listen and say, well, but you're recording a podcast right now. Like, how is that not extra time. But the thing is, is that like the podcast takes a few minutes. To, I'm just talking. I don't have to like look up stuff about what I'm talking about. I don't need to translate what I'm saying at the moment. I don't need to, you know, um, there's not additional work associated with the exception of editing, but 
editing myself doesn't take that long because, you know, I know what I'm saying. I basically just am talking to you guys, right? So it's not like when I have a guest on or, or anything like that and I have to take things out that are off the record or whatever. Um, so this doing this doesn't take that long, and it's one of basically no other outlets that I have um, to get things off my chest, to vent, to talk. And it's sort of a hobby, right? It's it's something to occupy my time that's not parenting related um, or like news related. So I don't go completely insane uh, while I'm on lockdown and have been for the past almost year. And then, you know, beyond the difficulty in trying to get to my dissertation, I also have um, job applications because while the market is crappy, the market continues, right? Um, the economy is still rolling, even though the COVID outbreak has not let up and has fact has in fact excuse me exact been exacerbated right it's tripled quadrupled in size at this point in this country um and so you know it's it's very difficult um i'm just going to be completely honest it's very difficult to parent in this situation because we we've not had a break uh since since she was born but also just because we are on high alert at all times we're put in a position right now because of this pandemic being overgrown in this country, um, that we, we sort of feel like, you know, every space is a, is a threat and a threat in particular to my safety and my daughter's safety. And so that level of like sort of constant stress, um, as people continue to defy mask orders, as we have continued negligence on behalf of the federal government, and in some cases, many cases, actually state government, local government, um, you know, as that's all happening, it's just really difficult to navigate all the other stuff I have to do. Um, because as I said, things don't stop just because the world is in a wreck. I mean, it's thinking of this from a left perspective, right? You know, in a normal circumstance, if you're looking at a lefty government, left-leaning government, they should be paying people to stay home, giving additional aid, um, and, health leave and things like that to people who do have to work still, um, they would need to, you know, not only, not only give people financial aid, but additional health resources and whatnot, um, and try to find a way to allow children to either be back in school with extreme health protocols or be able to have access to some sort of daycare systems if they're too young to go to school. But we don't have that. Um, and so because we have absolutely no social safety net as is in this country and things are already falling apart in the healthcare system, in the education system, in so many systems in this country before the pandemic, and we're only worsened by it, what we're seeing right now is a type of crisis that is very hard to grapple with um, if you're living in it. And certainly, you know, now from a governing standpoint, the administration that will inherit this crisis um, is going to have a lot of work to do. And I think that, you know, in the process of sort of assessing my own situation and thinking about, wow, like I am going through all of this and trying to figure out how, how am I supposed to, to function while capitalism is still rolling and at home things are not, you know what I mean? Like things are, things here are, as I said the other day on Twitter, like I feel like I'm frozen in time, but the world continues to go and continues to sort of push me to try to to get me to fit into some sort of routine that would be happening in normal circumstances, but without any resources to support that. Um, you know, in thinking about that, I've been thinking a lot about what other parents have been going through. 
and I've posted several times on, um, you know, especially women and how they've been hit hard by the pandemic as, as mothers and people who work outside of the home, even if they work from home, they still um, are seeing major shifts in expectations um, in terms of social norms and just like everyday household um, requirements and work requirements. So the, you know, there's this idea that women have a third shift. So like you have your shift with your child and your family, you have your shift at work, and then you come home again and you have another shift of things that you have to do at home. And uh, I feel like right now, most like predominantly mothers are burdened with fourth and fifth shifts um, because they're trying to simultaneously work, sometimes school their children and take care of their home, their families, their partners, their pets, whatever. Um, and at some point, somehow taking care of themselves, which is always the last, uh, last obligation that we're able to really get around to. I want to just sort of preface this by, or not preface, but I guess <laughs> follow up to that by saying that obviously it's not only mothers that are being impacted here. Um, it's fathers, it's non-binary partners, you know, it's anyone who has a family right now um, that's being impacted by this, especially people who are still trying to work while parenting, while schooling, while, you know, surviving, trying to avoid getting sick. It's so much. And I just think that we have not done enough. I know that we have not done enough um, as a society, as a poli- in the political sphere, et cetera, to take care and make sure that people are having their needs met, um, and families are having their needs met. Um, I I think the disturbing aspect of this is that we don't know how this is going to look in terms of holding women back, um, in particular, uh, and holding families back and, and parents, I should say, from getting work done. One of the stats that I saw recently or that I've seen come up a lot in articles about this, you know, they talk about how much there's a lack of productivity um, by women academics, and there's a height, a growing ac- academic productivity level for men. So men who are married uh, to women are seeing a higher level of productivity, and women are seeing less, uh, are producing less, because they're burdened with all of these new or you know additional responsibilities. I don't know what this is going to look like after the fact, right? Because if women are behind, especially women who were in the process of applying for jobs like myself or who were um, in tenure track jobs where they're expected to be highly productive, what is that going to look like in terms of competition in the field? Uh, We don't know yet. We also don't know just sort of like what might be the side effects in terms of health and mental state for women who are overburdened with these things. Uh, We don't really talk about that. That part I haven't seen come up as much. I mean, certainly there's a lot about, you know, the economic side and the productivity side, but also I wonder, like, how are we going to come out of this and be okay mentally and physically? Um, I know that, speaking for myself, but I'm sure many other people that I've spoken to are also dealing with this. Um, I, I find myself crying at least once a day. I'm not someone who's depressive. I'm not someone who has, you know, like, has ever had a history of, like, mental illness or anything like that but there's definitely a a low-grade depression that I think a lot of us are going through um and sometimes I just cry for no reason right there's no there's no particular reason it's just a frustration a sadness a kind of general malaise um being tired of all of this right wanting a better environment to 
have my child in to be in for myself um, and for my family, wanting to have some time to decompress mentally, and that's not there. Um, and so I definitely wonder about, you know, what's the what's the impact going to be in the future um, on on parents and especially mothers. I think that, uh, you know, going forward, what we have to to look look forward to, I guess, is the vaccine situation. But even then, you know, as I've also expressed elsewhere, some people are talking about the vaccine as if, you know, hundreds of thousands of people haven't died already, as if there's still no more coronavirus, right? Like, oh, it's, it's gone. Now that we have a vaccine, everything's okay. But the vaccine hasn't rolled out yet. They still haven't released, you know, the papers fully uh, outlining the science behind the vaccines, which are customary for vaccines that go through normal degrees of trials and whatnot. Um, they're going to get to that later. But all we have right now is a press release. We literally just have a press, a couple of press releases, and people have just been running with this, like, okay, the, you know, we found the golden ticket, everything's fine. And it's not fine. You know, we don't know when things are going to be released, and then we don't know how effective the, va- effective the vaccines will be in every single type of person, right? They still are doing studies, um, trying to get into studies on how it will affect children, how it will affect babies and pregnant women, um, how it will affect people with, you know, comorbidities. Um, they're still working all of this out. So there's that impact, that aspect. The other aspect is like the rollout, right? Um, we don't know how long it's going to take to roll these out. Some of them have to be stored in sort of extraordinary conditions, uh, like low, very low, low temperatures and whatnot. Um, that's going to be a challenge. There's going to be all sorts of challenges with regard to logistics and, and making sure that everyone in the country and around the world has it. I mean, there's like endless and endless list of issues that we're going to have to deal with. But basically people are like, or some people are like, oh, we have a vaccine now, so everything's fine. You know, I'm just going to keep my life rolling as normal and then hope for the best and I'll get the vaccine and everything will be okay. And that's, I think, hopeful for like capitalists, right? Who say, yes, my workforce can come back and like everything will be fine. But for the rest of us, like just looking at this, it's, it's, we have to think about recovery beyond just a vaccine. We're going to have a severe economic state that we're going to be entering in even with the vaccine. So while the markets are doing great, our jobs are still in limbo. Many people, so many people are still unemployed. And that means, of course, because this country is as cruel as it gets, many people don't have health care. And many people still may get sick from other things. Um, people are not making their regular visits to the doctor because hospitals and doctor's offices are like, and also testing clinics are basically hot zones for people with COVID. I mean, they can do whatever they want in terms of checking people at the door, but they're asymptomatic spreaders. And we just have no idea what we're walking into. And so I think a lot of people are afraid to go to the doctor, which is understandable. So like, you know, we're going to come out of this with many, 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 many scars that are going to be permanent. And I just worry about what that means for parents as well. Um, obviously for the general society, but since this blog, or sorry, since this podcast, excuse me, is about parenting and being on the left, um, it's certainly something that I'm thinking about often. Um, future administrations, you know, we know that the Biden administration is obviously not left leaning. Um, 
it's center right at best. Uh, good, you know, fine, I guess, on some social issues, but for the most part, it's it's going to be. Uh, I think we're going to get hit with a lot of economic austerity, and even if Biden does decide that, oh, I'm going to be, you know, some great leader and hop to and really help people financially, he's going to have uh, most likely a Republican Senate to deal with, and even if not a Republican Senate, still there are going to be some conservative Democrats that will stand in the way of economic progress for people in this country and any sort of social safety net. So that's a concern. Um, and But I think that would be the, a place to start, right? Like they could definitely continue a stimulus package. Um, they should do a lot to help schools. I mean, schools right now are still strapped for cash. Obviously, that's not a problem that went away. It only got worse with the pandemic. But then on top of that, they're expected to ensure safety protocols for students, which is something that many schools are not able to do. I mean, schools are looking at, you know, having to have PPE for students, for teachers, um, new class layouts, new classroom layouts, I should say. Um, they have to keep a certain percentage out or in pods. There are all these different questions coming about with regard to schooling and what that should look like in a pandemic. But they're, 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 they have a lack of resources, and so those resources will need to be expanded and increased. Um, I think another thing that an administration like this should do is like really work on uh, educating the population more, just like how to wear a mask properly, because that still seems to be an issue. Um, how this virus works, because I think some people assume, they seem to assume that as long as you keep your group small, people that you interact with, it's fine. But those people interact elsewhere with other people who interact elsewhere with other people. And people don't seem to understand like the way the virus works. I think some people are still under the impression that as long as it's a family member or a friend, they can't have the virus, which is like kind of silly. But there needs to be more education on this. Um, but I think in terms of supporting families and, and people who are working, you know, I, I think the stimulus package would be the best way to go. First of all, just like direct tra cash transfer to people um, so that they have some sort of economic security, at least. So in the instance that they have to take time off from their jobs for now um, to work with family or friends or, or not friends, but work with family, I should say, um, that needs to be taken care of. On that note, I was just thinking, you know, like we also need to have something in place for job security. And I don't think that's been discussed enough either. Uh, the assumption is just that, okay, well, if you lose your job, you'll just get another job. But depending on the type of the type of job you have, that might not be that easy. Um, and certainly not in this climate. And so I wonder, you know, like what will they do, if anything, likely not anything, but if they were to do something, we definitely need to have job security so that people can take leave to deal with, you know, homeschooling their children for now or taking care of sick family members or whatever, whatever they have to do. Um, and then know that they have a job on the other end of that, on the other side of that. That's really, really, really important and something that needs to be worked out. You know, if, if, if I had things my way, another thing that really needs to be addressed is like how we grocery shop. I know that sounds simple, but like we're going to have to get to the point where some like grocery workers and people in retail in general are protected. Like this is a huge problem. They are not protected and they're being exposed all the time. And I think one thing that, that could be done perhaps is just like make all grocery stores or the majority of them curbside pickup style. And if you don't have a car, you know, come and wait in a 
socially distanced line and spaced line and get your order. I mean, I have no idea, but that's something that I was just thinking about that may work to mitigate the spread of the virus in public spaces. Obviously, you know, there's other um, social spaces that would need to remain closed, like bars, uh, indoor dining and clubs and whatnot. But, you know, just we say that pharmacies and grocery stores are essential spaces to be to remain open during the pandemic, which they are. But the way that they are being managed is not helpful um, for preventing spread. So that needs to be dealt with. Uh, a lot of grocery stores, because they want to make money, you know, have sort of given up on a lot of the protocols. They've just let as many people as as let as many people in as possible. Um, I've seen grocery stores be super crowded, uh, and they may have, you know, hand sanitizer and whatnot, but that doesn't mitigate the spread in the way that people think because it's a respiratory disease. Uh, so, you know. If you're, as scientists have said, you know, this, the masks help a lot. The hand washing and hand sanitizer helps a lot. But if you're in a crowd, if you're in a crowded space and you're still releasing air, you're still releasing particles, you can still get sick. You know, I, I just, I, anyway, it's, you have to have social, you have to have distance and on top of all of these other things. Um, so that's important. And that's something that needs to be dealt with. ASAP because I think a lot of people are getting sick from that as well. So long story short here, I think that those are some short but easy, somewhat easy things that the administration could do right away once they came into office and also just work with states to make sure that that's followed through. How they enforce that is another tricky situation and I don't have the answer there, but it's something that would need to be done. Um, and I think once we were, if we were to put these things into practice, on top of having some sort of financial stimulus, it would take a lot of weight off families. I think people could breathe a little bit easier and not be so anxious about, you know, how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to afford things if I can't work? Or what if I'm working but now, but I can't go back if my family gets sick? I have a member, family member gets sick, or if I get sick, you know. Um, I think that challenge would be at least held off for a little bit. Um, but, you know, I am not the one in charge. I can't have it my way necessarily, you know. People can vote however they want, but at the end of the day, politicians get up there and do what they want and what their lob their, you know, lobbyists and donors want. And uh when I say donors, they're not counting us, right? They're counting the million and billion dollar donors that line their pockets. And I don't say that to discourage people. In fact, I say it to encourage people to put more pressure on the administration that's incoming. Um, while, you know, in the time that we have it to ensure that when they get into office, they do their job and they represent us. They do what they're supposed to do to make sure that we are safe and that we are taken care of because we definitely pay taxes in this country and we need to get something back from, for them, you know, instead of sending them all to go kill people in foreign wars or whatnot, or into going into policing to kill us, you know, we need to have so we need something to show for what we're being taxed uh, for as well, right? And I think that that's one area, one area now, especially more than ever, that we need a social safety net and we have the money to take care of that. Um, I'm going to include some articles in the show notes about what I'm discussing. And some of these are from 
you know, mainstream sources that are very pro-capitalist, like the Wall Street Journal, but they at least give sort of a background on what's going on and, and where we're seeing a lot of parents and especially mothers be hit uh, in this pandemic. I also think, though, that, um, you know, beyond just those articles, just throwing it out there, like, think about the people who are parents in your life. If you're not a parent, but you have friends who are parents and whatnot, reach out to them and like, see how you can help, you know, have, have, um, a moment where if you are able, you know, find out what do they need? You know, is there something that they need that you can help with, um, in some way and what that help help looks like will differ depending on the person. But, um, you know, who knows, they may need something and you may be able to provide it. I also think another thing, um, that we can definitely do is just, you know, considering the the situation with regard to labor and, and particularly women's labor and how this is being set back potentially by what's going on, you know, one area that would be great is if universities and colleges, workplaces really invested in the future, at least, because not right now, it's not safe, but in the future, you know, in childcare, you know, one of the the big discussions of feminists in the 60s and 70s, not just here, but around the world was like, how do we um, expect women to work and then not have any childcare? But then on top of that, you know, having close quality childcare, so quality childcare close to home, on top of that is also, I think, a question about how do we make sure that childcare workers are being taken care of and supported? Who's taking care of their kids, right? Are they being, uh, are they receiving the benefits that they deserve as workers? Are they allowed to unionize? Are they allowed to make demands? I think that's really important um, because so much childcare is actually like off the grid, especially if you go um, here too in the United States, but certainly in many other countries abroad, um, in Latin America, in Africa, in parts of Asia, you have women who are taking care of people's children and getting, you know, pennies a day, if that. And I think that childcare labor is one much like domestic work of a clean, you know, in terms of cleaning and things like that, that's overlooked by the, by union organizers. It's overlooked by, by leftists in a lot of ways, right? Uh, by labor workers and, and, or sorry, labor organizers. We kind of think about labor as something that takes place in a factory or an office, but labor in the home is just completely dismissed and overlooked in many cases. And part of that has to do with who does that work, right? A lot of the time it's women, women of color, many times immigrants, poor women. So we have to think about, you know, what what it looks like to support those people too, uh, while supporting women and families who are working and going back into the workforce. So there are many areas here that, that need improvement. And that need not only improvement, but like discussion first, we have to think about them and talk about them. And we're not doing enough of that. Um, and, you know, maybe in the future, we will, I'm, I'm hopeful for that, especially as so, so, so many women right now are looking at their lives change before their eyes and very quickly looking at gender roles change radically before their eyes and very quickly. Um, like literally I said to my husband the other day, you know, I feel like we're living in hunter-gatherer society right now where my husband goes and like picks up the food and hunts, quote unquote, right? He's not literally hunting, obviously, but um, well, I shouldn't say obviously some people still hunt, but we don't. 
Uh, <laughs> we don't hunt. But he's going and getting the food. He's going and getting the packages. And I'm staying at home and caring for the baby the majority of the week and taking care of the household and not getting a chance to do my work. And it just, I know that so, 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 so many women out there are going through something similar. And uh, it's sort of a matter of how do we deal with that after the fact? Are we going to be able to transition properly once this pandemic is over, God willing, whoever willing, hopefully, once it's over, how are things going to look in our households? How are we going to look as people? How are we as mothers, as parents, going to think about ourselves as workers and what will that work look like in the future will it be more accommodating that's another concern right so many concerns but will offices be more accommodating of people when they need to work from home because now they can't they don't have the excuse anymore that they don't have the infrastructure to do it we know it's possible we've been doing it for the past year almost so will they allow people with families to work from home Uh, that'll be a question to see you know, that we're going to have to deal with later on. And hopefully the answer is yes. Um, but we'll find out, right? We'll, we'll just have to wait and see because I think at this point, a lot of companies have already been behaving like there's no pandemic. So when the pandemic is over, I think a lot of them are just going to spring right back into, well, you're expected to do this and this way and send it in by this time. And, you know, the world continues to turn. So that's how it is. That's how it goes. And if you don't do those things, your job is not secure. Hopefully it's not like that, but I am not very hopeful of uh, capitalism <laughs> considering it's, it's past bad, bad acts, prior bad acts. Uh, we don't have much proof that the worker or the parent or the family is going to be prioritized in a situation like this. But again, trying to keep my head up here and hopefully... These sorts of things, these sorts of thoughts and ideas will motivate people, will motivate other parents and other families and other people generally, workers, to get involved, to push for these things that we need in our society. So just wanted to put this quick little note out there. It's close to seven now, so I need to get things started for round two or three or whatever of this continuous day as it is. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, Just as a reminder for people, if you have any comments, questions, whatever, you can always uh, follow the Comrade Mommy specific Twitter at Comrade Mommy. And of course, check out the Left Pocket Project podcast um, that you're doing right now. But check out the project itself by going to at Left POC on Twitter and Facebook and also the Patreon page. So that's patreon.com slash Left POC You can learn more about the Left Pocket Project there, where, as I said, I discuss um, the history of leftists of color. I also have a co-host. So for those of you who may not know, we have a part of our, excuse me, a segment of our show called Reading Revolution. So my co-host Richard and I, uh, who co-host the regular segments of Left Pocket Project with me, he also does the Reading Revolution series with me, where we read and discuss work written by or that inspired leftists of color. Uh, So be sure to check that out. And, you know, I just want to remind everyone that even if you're not a parent, but you have friends who are parents, or if you have family members who are parents, or your parent uh, is a parent, you know, consider checking out the Comrade Mommy stuff, um, because I do talk about leftist issues and how they intersect with parenting here. Um, But I also think it's important just to recognize that, like, lots of leftists are parents, and we have exposure to so many parenting-related resources that are 
very right wing or liberal at best. And so I wanted to put something out there that had us talking about thinking about parenting from a leftist perspective and ways that we can make parenting a positive experience for ourselves and our children and our families as a whole um, by keeping, keeping sort of like, I don't know, leftist ideology at the center of it, right? And this, this idea of supporting one another and having a state um, that does the same and that we push for that, you know? So I really think it's important that, that we come to this process as whole beings. Part of that is our political life and part of it is our family life and they are operating together. So anyway, thanks everyone. Have a safe Thanksgiving week. It's coming up soon. Please take care of yourselves. If you're traveling, do everything you can to get tested, protect yourself, protect your family members. If you're not traveling, good for you. Stay at home as we are doing. <laughs> Eat your turkey at your table uh, and try not to spread this very scary disease or catch it. Anyway, take care of yourselves. Thanks again for listening. Um, there will be more episodes coming up, some of which will have interviews. So be sure to be on the lookout. Thank you so much again. And take care. Bye. Thank you.